happy Mother's Day to all of you in here who mother in one way, shape, or form or another. Uh, that scene from uh, Parental Guidance kind of points out something that was kind of a, I was thinking about when I was thinking about how parenting is, and that I kind of paused for a moment and said, like, how did I end up here with kids? You ever just kind of have that moment, like, how did I end up here? Like, like if you, what happens is that, I don't know, somewhere along the way, you fall in love with somebody, and I don't know what it is, you decide, let's have kids. I don't know what it is that makes people want to do it, but we, we decide we're going to have kids. And so you make that decision, and then eventually there's the pregnancy stage, and you're just sort of kind of trying to get through all the difficulties and the highs and lows of that. And then there's the newborn, and the doctors look at you and say, you can't stay here anymore, take it home. And that's terrifying, if you will, and so you do that. You remember what those first couple of days were where you were just literally afraid you were going to kill it any moment. You just thought for sure, I'm going to kill it. And it, there's just all kinds of new things and struggles along the way there, and then they start to walk, and everything changes, and the new struggles come in, and we call part of that stage the terrible, the terrible twos. And you keep thinking to yourself, well, when I get to the next stage, it's going to be easier. But then you get to the next stage where they're in preschool, and that has all of its own challenges. And then you think, well, the next stage, well, it's certainly going to be easier then. And then elementary school has all of its challenges. And then you think, well, once they get to middle school, it'll, they'll be self-sufficient. It'll be a lot easier. But then it's like all these other things come in that you never thought about. And then high school hits, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I only have like two, three more years with them, and then they're gone for good. And then... You get past high school and you realize, no, they're not. They failed to launch. <laughs> but at some point, you'll have that moment where you sit around and you ask the question, how come the kids don't call? Where are they? How come they don't ever come, come to visit? And, and I think that's because we never really sort of went through any of those seasons of life kind of thinking about what the end game is. Like, what's the purpose behind all this? What are we doing here? What do we want to accomplish here? What do we, what do we want to see happen? And I think that's a question we need to, need to ask ourselves is, is, what is the end game of parenting? What is the overall goal? What, what, what is the, the purpose behind it? And then my premise that I would say this morning is I, I think everything in life relates to why it is that God put us here. And, and I say this almost every week. And like, like what, is it, what, is the, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What is life all about anyway? Anybody? So if you've been here, and if you haven't been here, you're wondering, like, how do these people know this? Like, how, I didn't know this was going to be a quiz. Uh, it's because I say this almost every week, that this life is about nothing more than establishing and growing and developing a loving relationship with your Heavenly Father that you'll be able to enjoy for all eternity. Now, throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, and of course the most common word that Jesus uses refers to God is Father. But this metaphor of, of parent and child is used throughout the Bible. Uh, and and if, if God's purpose for humanity is that we might have a loving relationship with Him for all eternity— uh, I, I would sort of propose to you this morning that maybe perhaps that also would be what your overarching goal should be for your, you and your children, that you would have a loving relationship with your children that would last for your whole life. Because at some point, you're going to like wake up and go, where are the kids? How come they don't call? I want to have a relationship with them. I mean, how many of you looking back, you know, would say, I really want to have a relationship with my kids for the rest of my life. That's what I want. So take that, take those two things together, and then also then ask this question, if all of life is about teaching us about how to have a loving relationship with God, is it fair to then say, perhaps, that the reason why God had us grow up in the context of family with parenting relationships is so we might learn in, about something about or be able to relate to God's overall purpose for us? 
In other words, he could have had humanity come up anyway. You could have been like a flower growing up out of the ground. Uh, you could have just been like an asteroid falling from the sky. He could have literally got you here any way, shape, or form. He didn't have to have you start off as a little baby and grow up and have somebody care for you and deal with it all along the way. He could have just had you come in as a fully functioning adult. And some animals, you look at, they are. They're a fully functioning adult, and some animal gives birth to it. I didn't get any examples, but they just, you know, like National Geographic, and they just, boom, they, they're off and running from day one and never see the parent ever again. And some of you think, why couldn't we be like that? I think there's a reason for it because God wants us to learn about our relationship with him. And I think what we're going to see is, is that God has a certain standard for how he parents us. We see that throughout the scripture. He parents us with unconditional love. He, he parents us with grace upon grace upon grace. He gives us blessings and reassurance along the way of his acceptance and his approval over us. He teaches us and he guides us and he trains us. He protects us and he provides for us uh, and he disciplines us as well. And all those things God does for us. Now, Here's their struggle, and I know in, in telling a series called The Struggle is Real, you, you might tend to think just from the bumper video that the struggle is all of those things with kids running around with fireworks and going down escalators head first and all those things. The struggle is not to survive parenting. The struggle is this. Most of us parent the way we were parented. For better or for worse, most of us parent the way we were parented. Now put that together with something I don't know where the study came from. I just remember hearing this in church when I was a kid, and Pastor told us, he says, you know, look at the study, and said 90% of people grow up and say their home life was dysfunctional. And I remember my sister and I started laughing, and my mom was leaning forward, we like high-fived each other and laughed, and they were like, wait, what, what? And it was like a big thing for them, like to find out that we felt we were in a dysfunctional family. And if you think back in your life, there's a part of your childhood, you'd say, yeah, that was dysfunctional. But what do you expect when you put a bunch of sinners in one house? I mean, that's all we are, right? We're not going to get this thing right. The struggle that's real is this. The struggle is to not parent in the same dysfunctional way we were parented, but to parent the way God parents us. That's the struggle, and it's really, really hard. So this morning, I just kind of want to go through and just kind of look deeper at how it is that God parents us, and what is it we can draw from this as parents, and find a way that the, the, the other part of the struggle is not just to parent the way God parents us, but to do it with the same balance that he does for us. Because there's a perfect balance with all of these things you'll find in the way that God treats you and me. Begin off with unconditional love. Uh, several scriptures on this. Uh, God shows his love for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. I mean, he, we did not deserve it at all in that moment. We didn't even know what love was until Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. As a matter of fact, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. I talk about this quite a bit at the end of the book of John. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Because Peter was all talking about how much he loved Jesus and whatnot before he died. And in that moment, Peter realizes, I don't love the way you define love. Because Jesus is saying, do you agape me? Because Jesus was defining agape the way, his, the way he lived his life. And Peter's like, no, I phileo you. I, I don't understand this agape thing, this sacrificial, giving, unconditional kind of love. I don't, I don't know that. And, and what we see throughout the scriptures is we learn love by the way God loved us. What every single person on this earth desires most is unconditional love, yet we struggle to be capable of doing it. The closest relationship where you'll ever find that is that of a parent to a child. Far more than you ever see it between a husband and wife, though. Isn't it easier sometimes to forgive our kids than it is our spouse? Because God almost like supernaturally gifts you with the ability, if you tap into it, to unconditionally love this child. Uh, and it's amazing the way that that happens. Uh, we see over in 1 Corinthians 13 this whole explanation of this kind of love, and it ends with this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When I first started off in ministry, I, the very first church I had, uh, we had an elementary school at the church. And I wanted to find some way to be able to reach out to the parents in the elementary school because there really were no relationships whatsoever between the church and the school and the fact that they used the same building. 
And so there I was as a young pastor of all of, what was I, 23, 24 years old at the time. And I wanted to be able to begin relationships with these, with these parents. And so the very first Bible study I led was a parenting small group, which was ironic because I didn't have kids at the time. So here I am leading a small group without kids to a bunch of people who have kids. Now, and this is an encouragement to any of you who feel the, the, the call to lead a small group and feel inadequate. Uh, it was a video-based curriculum. We have lots of video-based curriculums. In other words, I didn't have to be an expert in having kids. I was able to tap into the expert on the video and just lead a discussion. That's really what I did. But I'll never forget, it was a, it was a video series by Ross Campbell. And the title of the series was How to Really Love Your Kids. And I remember in that series, he talked about how every one of you, every one of your kids has an emotional love tank. And some of you are familiar with this kind of analogy. And he talked about with this emotional love tank, it's the fuel which your child will use to go through all of his social interactions during the day. So in other words, every person that they run into, everything that's asked of them, every challenge that they face, they will tap into this emotional love tank uh, to, to draw the fuel for that every day. Now, the key with it you have to understand as a parent is, you're the only person capable of filling that tank up. For that child, you're the, when they're young, you're the only person capable of it. Now, God wants to pour into them, but they don't have the resources at a young age to be able to tap into God's ability to pour into them. Now, you as an adult, yeah, you can go get yourself filled up. Maybe that's what some of you are doing every time you come to church, every time you listen to worship music, when you pray, when you every time with God, you're going to God to fill up your emotional tank like only he can. But your kids, they don't have that ability. You know, we want to teach them to, to do that along the way, but when they're young, you are the only gas station for their emotional love tank. Now, all day long, everybody else is pulling and withdrawing from that. Some people are trying to poke holes in it. When their kids and the pressures come in, they're making fun of them, they're teasing them, everybody's just taken out of them, taken out of them, taken out of them, taken out of them. What they need most from you as, as, as a loving parent is just to be pouring into them, to be loving on them, encouraging them, spending time with them. Uh, you know all the things. It's just hard to be doing them consistently, giving them undivided, undivided time, listening to them, talking with them, hearing with them, talking about their hopes and their dreams, looking in them eye to eye and just you know, pouring into them day after day after day, just loving on them unconditionally. Next thing we see that God does, he doesn't just love us unconditionally, uh, but he also gives us grace when we fail. Uh, a couple of scriptures I want to point out on this, just to think about God's grace over us. It says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I, I just love this, like, like grace, pot on top of grace, pot on top of grace. Uh, where our sin increases, the scripture says in, in Romans 5.20 is, his grace increases all the more. Anybody ever have a mom that said to you, Stephen, Stephen Travis, when you, when you get the middle name, it's really bad. I've had it up to here. Now, I don't know that there was a scale or a limit. I didn't know that there was something like, like a fundraising meter of temperatures. I don't know what was going there, but I knew that when it was to here, she was saying, I'm at my limit. I gave you grace upon grace upon grace, but where your sin increases, my grace is about to run out for you, son. So when they would say, I've had it up to here, it was saying, my grace is running out. Now, God looks at us and he says, my grace never runs out which is the amazing thing about the love of God. And even with mama, even though she'd say it, it seems like she always found more. I don't know where, she always found more. Sometimes dad seemed to lose it, but mom always seemed to find more and more and more. I love you dads, we'll talk about you in a couple weeks. But I love this other passage, and I really want to focus in on this, about God's love for us and what his grace does from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, The God of all grace, who's called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, this is talking about what his grace does, where it says, it says these four things, restore you, support you, strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. 
when you provide that grace upon grace upon grace with your kids, what you're doing is you're restoring them. They feel broken, like a failure, like they won't ever amount to anything. There is enough self-condemnation often that comes on them when they failed and when they're coming to you before you where they need your grace. It's to restore them, to bring them back, to make them whole once again, to support them, to lift them up. Yes, we failed here. What do we need to do? We need to work on this. I'm going to support you. One of the greatest acts of grace I've ever seen. Now, as a dad, I would have loved to have done this with my kids. I just can't get that up that early. A really good friend of mine had done something at, at, a, at a camp he shouldn't have done, and he got in trouble for it. And his dad's punishment was for like two months that they were going to get up at 5 a.m. every Friday morning and go run laps at the local track. Now, it was a punishment for both the son but also for the dad too, right, sharing in that. But what that did is it gave them time to talk about it, for him to love on his kid, and to eat breakfast with him every Friday, every Friday morning. And the kid realized that dad wasn't just punishing me, he was supporting me and he was loving on me and he was getting me in shape and getting himself in shape too. But it was the support there that, that carried along with it. And then this idea of strengthening them. You know, whenever something breaks, it heals back stronger than everything else around it. God's hope for you is that in the areas where you failed, do you ever have those moments where you're like, I've been there, I've got the t-shirt, I won't ever do that ever again, right? There are some lessons you only had to learn once. Now, some of you are numbskulls and you keep learning the same lesson over and over again. That's a different story, but there are some things you made a mistake early on at some point in your life and you say, I will never go back there ever again. That was dumb and I learned my lesson. Your goal as parenting is that part of the grace that you give them would not only restore them and support them, but would strengthen them. Help them learn from these failures. Why? Ultimately this, so they'd be placed on a firm foundation. You want your kids to have a firm foundation when they leave your house that they can always come back to, that they can always fall on. You know what's great about the, the story of the prodigal son? Uh, a couple of years ago, we did a series called Come Home on talking about the prodigal. After the kid has been rude to his father, left the family home, disgraced the family name, he's there eating with pigs, what's the one thought that comes to his mind? The unconditional love of his dad. It says, when he came to his senses, he says, I'm going to go back, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. There was something within him that felt, I know my dad well enough to know that there's enough grace there that I can still come home. May you parent in such a way that your kids always know there's enough grace for them to come home. And it's a really tough struggle, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you want to like instill the fear of God in them, don't do this. On the other hand, you want them to know you can always come home. You can always come home. Give them a firm foundation they know they can always come home. Uh, in my family, I, now i got to pause for just one second. I, there was a piece of advice that I'm breaking this morning, and that was never teach on parenting while you still have kids in the home. <laughs> Love you guys. For two reasons. Uh, one is they're bound to make hypocrites of you. I don't have this down perfect. Keep in mind, I'm telling you what God does, not what I do. Uh, second of all, you're sort of giving away the playbook to the very people you're trying to influence, right? Uh, so with that, I, I go to this next thing on grace. I try to parent with the motto of grace, grace, consequence. Okay, grace, grace, consequence. Grace upon grace, and then we go to consequence. From the time they were young. When they were, time when they were young and they'd act a fool, I'd say, hey, we need to cut that out. When they still keep doing it, I would go and I would continue to give grace. I didn't give a consequence. I'd just give them a certain time and say, hey, 
we can't do that. We can't act like that. We can't do this over people. So you're acting, a, you know, have that talking to. There's no consequence. There's no hand-to-butt convers- confrontation. Uh, there's nothing taken away. There's no consequence. It's just, a, it's just a, a talking to, and that is grace, is it not? But after grace, grace, we have to go to consequence because we're clearly not learning by grace. We're not learning by grace, so maybe we have to learn by consequence. And I hate we have to learn by consequence. And to this day, I still try to do that. Sometimes I fail, and everyone ask them, they, if, you, if you want to, ask them, there's times I fail in the grace, grace, and I go straight to consequence, but I try to go grace and say, hey, hey, we need, we need to get on this. Hey, we need to get on this. Have a stern talking to maybe over dinner table and say, hey, this is something we're slipping on. Next time, though, we go to consequence. I want to parent by grace, grace, consequence. I don't always, but I want to because that's how God has parented me. Grace upon grace upon grace. However, what happens when we abuse God's grace? We know. Eventually, at some point, God comes in and he judges. And you see that throughout the Old Testament as well. There's warning and warning and warning and warning and warning and warning and warning, and then finally God says, okay, I've had it. There will be a consequence. Not because he's done with you, but because he's not done with you. That's why it says over in Hebrews, it says this. Um, oh, that was down on the discipline thing, so I was gonna cut down there. My son, don't take light of the Lord's discipline, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you, for the Lord disciplines those that he loves, and he chastises those he accepts as son. Now, there's a great story that Bob Goff tells about him and his parent, uh, parenting of his kids. It says when his teenage daughter was about 16, 17 years old, she went out and she wrecked the family car. Now, back in the day before cell phones, just imagine what it's like to be a teenager having to drive home, thinking about what you're going to say when you get home with the car having been wrecked. Just imagine that. Like the prodigal son on his way home rehearsing your whole speech. And so she came in, and she was just, you know, bawling with tears, and just, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's like, well, for what? And, you know, I got this car, and she's going on and on, and he just says, just calm down, just calm down. He says, come with me, and, and she's, like, following after him. He's like, what? And he goes out to the garage, and he, and he goes out to get a shovel. <laughs> and she's continuing apologies. Hey, 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 just, just stop apologizing. Just take the shovel. And she's looking at him like, this is getting weird. What? And he goes, we need to go out into the backyard. And they go to the backyard, and he gets to a certain spot in the backyard, and he says, now dig. She's looking at him like, this is taking a real dark turn, Dad. <laughs> but sure enough, in digging in this one spot, she digs down about a foot or two, and she hits this tin can. It's like an old coffee can. And she pulls it out, and he says, and there's a bunch of envelopes in there. He says, find the one that says, when you wreck the car. And she pulls it out. And he says, today, and it's this letter, and it says, today you got your driver's license, and I want you to know that on the day you read this letter, I've already decided I love you, and I forgive you. Now that is a picture of God's grace over you and me. Before the foundations of the world, he knew you and I were going to mess up in sin. He's already decided to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross as payment for you and for me. He already knew it. He already expected it. Now, as a kid, you could just imagine, I wonder what's on the rest of those envelopes in there and what else I can. <laughs> now, if your mindset, though, is what's on the rest of the envelopes and what else can I get away with, then go back to Romans when Paul talks about where God's grace increases, you know, or our sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. He asks that question. So you might think, what should I do then? Just go on sinning? He goes, why? Why would you want to? Like, just think about that. Sometimes we have the mentality, well, if God's going to forgive me, why don't I do it anyway? When you understand the pain of sin, the question is, why would you want to? Just because there's grace there doesn't mean you want to go and mess up your life. You, you don't even want to. 
Uh, and that's where you know, the, the discipline piece comes in. So we have the grace, but there's also this discipline that God gives us because he loves those, or he disciplines those that he loves. Now, the purpose of discipline is to try to extinguish selfishness to the point where you're tolerable for the rest of humanity. The purpose of discipline is to try to extinguish selfishness at least to the extent where you're tolerable to the rest of humanity. I know that's not a high bar, but it's realistic, right? Is it fun to be in a relationship with somebody who's selfish? Now, here's the thing. The more selfish you are, the more you'll be able to identify it in somebody else. Let that sink in. Is it fair to say that you could trace down the root of your problems with people that you work with, people that you live with, all down to one issue, and that is selfishness, right? From the time kids are born, they only know to be selfish, right? They come out, and all they care about is their own needs. Your goal as a parent, by the time they leave your house, is to work the selfishness out of them to the point where they can at least have working relationships with the rest of humanity. Is that fair to say? I know that's not a high bar, but your sinful nature runs real deep, and that the core of your sinful nature is selfishness. And your discipline as parenting is to work that out. Why? Well, in order, if you're going to have a loving relationship with God that's going to last for all eternity, can you have an eternal loving relationship with somebody who's selfish? No. God's a giver. And if all you are is a taker, that relationship doesn't end well. That's the story of the giving tree. I've shared this before. Remember the story of the giving tree? Shelf Silverstein writes it. And the tree gives to the little boy because the boy comes and he's always selfish. And he's always caring about his own needs. And so he wants the apples, so he takes the apples. And he wants the branches, he takes the branches. He wants the trunk, he takes the trunk. And what do you have at the end of the book? You got the boy and you got a stump. God looks at you and me and he says, I love you too much to allow myself just to become a stump for all eternity. In order to have a loving relationship with somebody for all eternity, there has to be this sense of mutual love between us. And so he comes down and displays it in Jesus Christ, and he tries to discipline, out of a, out of, discipline it out of us through everything he puts us through in life. And what is your job as a parent? To discipline out the selfishness in their life such that they can have healthy relationships with other people. Wouldn't this world be a better place if you took away all the selfishness? So what does God do? He gives unconditional love, grace when we fail. Uh, discipline to correct our unhealthy attitudes and behaviors of selfishness. Um, there's also teaching and guidance. Uh, everything you have in your book before you or on your phone before you, the Bible, however you're looking at it, uh, it's all about God's teaching and guidance. From the Ten Commandments all the way to the Sermon on the Mount, it's just God teaching and teaching and teaching and instructing. Uh, there's that cheesy thing I learned back when I was a kid that the letters that spell out Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. God, God's given you a guidebook and a manual for everything to do. He's given you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of examples of people who did it well and people who messed up. And you need to know the difference. Sometimes we look at people who messed up and you go, well, hey, they did it. Yeah, but how did that turn out? Like, oh, all my friends are doing it. Yeah, but how does that turn out? Just because they're doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just because you saw an example in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. If you want a right, a right example, always look to Jesus. He's giving you a right example. And he's saying, this is now how you should live. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 talks about God's scripture being this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what does this look like? Uh, teaching involves two things, both what and why. You know, when they're young, it's just about the what's, right? Here's what you need to do. At some point, kids start asking you that annoying question of why? Why, right? And you'll be tempted to say what? Because I said so. How often in, ch in church on a Sunday morning do I look at you and say, because God said so? Honest answer is almost never. Now, do I believe that the authority of God is sufficient enough to say, because God said so, do it? Yes. 
And there are a select few times where I will say, because God said so, do it. But here's what I know from Scripture and what I know to be true. God's not going to lie to you. He has his best intentions for you. He loves you. And so because he has his best intentions for you and he loves you, he only tells you what is true, right? He's only going to tell you what is true. So everything in here is true. You should do it because it's true. Not just because it's God's authority, but because it's true. In the same way, when you're looking at your kids saying, because I said so, deep somewhere down in there, in the honest good part of your parenting, it's because it's true, right? Can I jump off the roof? No. Why? Because gra- there's a truth called gravity. And gravity is going to have far more consequences than I could ever put on you. So either you can jump off the roof and disobey me, worried about my consequences, but you, you should really worry about is the consequences of the truth of gravity. And that's going to be a bigger consequence, right? So when they ask why, there's a season where you may say, I said so. But it's, isn't it very crucial and important to begin to tell them the whys? Here's the danger in parenting. At some point, they'll quit asking why. That's the scary part. And what's easy as a parent is if, it, you know, come to is just say, don't have sex before you're married. All right, whatever. They didn't ask why. You need to tell them why. I can tell you why. I, I used to work at a crisis pregnancy center. There's a 90% chance that within six months of a teenager becoming sexually active, you'll have a pregnancy scare. 90% chance. Why? Well, they're on birth control. I'm on birth control. Isn't that good? How consistent are your kids at taking out the trash, doing the dishes, and other chores around the house? And your foolproof method is that they're going to take a pill every single day, reliably, and not miss a day? Okay. Let's talk about the why. Remember years ago hearing a message about God's laws and all of his commandments, and it said this one premise. God's desire for you as a heavenly parent is that God wants you to be free. He wants you to have the maximum number of choices in life. And the only way to do that is if you live by a certain set of guidelines and rules that he puts around your life, right? Now, you're free to jump off the roof, but when gravity hits you, and it will, and you break your leg, will you be free to play soccer in the fall? No. As a matter of fact, you may have a limp the rest of your life, because some of us have injuries that happened when we were kids and we were dumb and we did things like this, we're still paying for it right now, right? God wants you to be free. So make wise choices now because here's the freedom that is at stake. When God first began humanity, how many rules did he have? One. Don't eat from that tree. They did. What happened? Their freedoms were limited. You no longer had access to the tree of life. You were now outside of the garden. You now had to work from the ground. You weren't free to do whatever you wanted all day and run around naked. You weren't free to do that anymore. All of a sudden there were 10 commandments in 633. And then a whole book full of things on how now we should live. Why? Because we've made life so complicated and so difficult. God wants you to be free. Why is it they should get good grades? To make you happy? No, because I want you to have most, more options. I want you to have the freedom to either clean the building, design the building, build the building, whatever you want to do in the building, I want you to be able to do it. When you're in military, who has the most options when they graduate? Whoever finished top of the class. They get their first choice of anywhere they want to live, anywhere they want to go, anything they want to do, at least for that one time, right? I want you to be free to have the most optimal choices. And so my goal as a parent is that you, I would teach you and instruct you not just the what, but the why behind the what, so I can equip you to make wise decisions. And God gives us so many of the whys behind the what's as you read through the scriptures. It's not just a, a, a list of do this, don't do that. He says again and again and again, why? And he gives you examples of how people lived it out and the mistakes they made when they didn't do it. 
All right, so unconditional love, grace when we fail, uh, teaching and guidance, discipline and correction. Another one is blessing through approval and acceptance. Um, God blesses us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. God longs to bless you again and again and again. Years ago, I talked to, about, there's two things about the parenting relationship. What, children, what, what parents need most from their kids is honor, which is why we have Mother's Day and Father's Day, right? It, it is at least one day of the year to honor our, our mother and father, as we should every single day of the year, right? Is that what Mother's Day is about is honoring mom, Father's Day honoring dad, but really every day is Mother's Day, every day is Father's Day, right? Because we should honor our mother and father, and what you want most from your kids is for them to honor you. Throughout your life, honor. Not obedience, uh, oh, Honor. You know what they need most from you? A blessing. To this day, doesn't matter how old you are, you long for a blessing. That's why the preschooler says, hey mom, what do you think? And they show you their drawing. Look what I did, look what I made. What do they want? They just want to hear your approval. That's why they they bring home their grades to you and they show them to you and say, what do you think? What do you think? They want your approval. Mom, mom, what do you think of her? I, I asked her to the prom. They want your approval. And it never ends. Come look at my first apartment. We, we just got this first one. We decorated it. Look how it looks. And they send you pictures of it or they invite you over at least one time and they want to show you just so you'll, you'll what? You'll look at it and go, wow, this looks amazing. Your desire for the blessing from your parents will never end. What your kids want most from you is your approval, your blessing. Well done. And it's not conditional, is it? It's just a blessing. When Jesus Christ comes up out of the water after he's baptized, before he'd ever done anything significant in ministry, what does God say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And that that blessing is over his life. And then lastly is providing and protecting. Uh, Sort of one of the givens of parents is you have to provide for them and care for them. The question is, is what is it that you are intent to make sure you provide? Is it happiness? Is it stuff? What is it? You know, I can boil it down to there's three core essentials. One is, is provide for their health, you know, enough food for them to survive and be nutritious in, in their, their health care. Uh, provide for their education. I need to support them in their education so they can grow in it and, and have, it, have an opportunities in life. Uh, and then thirdly, their, their spiritual opportunities in life and their spiritual growth. Uh, this concept is something I didn't fully understand. And, and people used to always say, yeah, your parents are rich, but you seem to be raised poor. I think that was probably good parenting on my parents' part, right? They had a lot of money, I just didn't. Uh, they had a lot of money, but they saved it and didn't give me as a kid. They, they, you know, they blessed me later on in life, but not when I was a kid. But I remember my dad said this about a camp that I used to go to, this camp where I began a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I made a lot of really wise decisions as a result of going to this camp. One year, I saw that the camp price had increased, and I came home, and I was like, oh, I don't know if they're going to send me this year. And so I said, hey, Dad, I really want to go. Um, and I really would like to go for two weeks this year. I remember him, I'll never forget he said this. He said, because of the impact that camp has had on you spiritually and morally, I will pay whatever it takes and I will do whatever it takes to send you as many weeks as you want to go every single summer. In other words, there was a blank check as long as I wanted to go to that camp. And that's a camp I went every year when I was a kid. It had such an impact on me that I went back as a counselor. I now go back every year that I can as a camp pastor so that my kids can have that same experience. Side note, by the way, we also have an awesome, amazing camp just like that provided for you, which was designed and shaped around my camp experiences and the impact it had on me. And I want you to have that as well for your kids. You don't have to drive all the way to Florida for it. And so registration's still going on. Great little advertisement side note there. This is something to save for and to provide for. And if you get to the point where you can't provide for it, there's enough other people in this, in this room who would love to mother on your kids and send, you, send your kids or at least help you send your kids. 
And by the way, the parenting thing extends far beyond just biological relationships. I said in the first service, Lourdes was in here. Lourdes has been a mother to my kids since Melissa passed away. And she's not biological mom. She's just been a part of our life this whole time. You know, whether employed or not employed, she's always taken on that mantle of motherhood and has nothing to do with your biological relationships. It, motherhood's a choice. It's a choice. Uh, and parenting is as well, that we would parent the way God parents. Now, the struggle is to parent the way God parents in all those areas of unconditional love and discipline and blessing uh, and providing and protecting. And by the way, the protecting piece is all about providing a safe environment for your kids. Throughout the scriptures, we'll see about how God is a safe place to come home to. The little question is, is your house a safe place for your kids? Is it a place where they get teased and harassed and blamed, or is it a safe place? So moving on, though. The struggle, though, is to keep all these things in the right balance. And we've seen the problem. Part of the dysfunction of maybe what you grew up in is your parents had some of these elements out of balance. If you have parents who provide far more than they, uh, than they bless, what you end up having is sort of this performance-based mentality. I gave this to you, now you better perform. Nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. I keep on doing this for you. What are you doing back? Uh, if you have parents who discipline far more than they love, then you end up with kids who feel like there's this harsh relationship with their parents and there's a tendency to rebel against their parents because there isn't a right relationship there. Uh, when you have, a kid, have parents who just want to support and support and support and far little else, you end up with kids who are absolutely spoiled. And you can see how you put any of these things out of balance, it leads to some level of dysfunction. And so as you went through here, probably one of the questions you need to ask either yourself or who you parent with is, where are we out of balance here? Where do we need to sort of rebalance the scales in our parenting when it comes to all of these things of unconditional love and grace when they fail and blessings and approval uh, and giving the teaching, instruction, and guidance and disciplining them so we remove the selfishness from their life such that they're tolerable towards the rest of the world as they move into it and providing and protecting over our kids? Where is it that we're out of balance in all of this? Wherever you come out on that, I know there's going to be some of you who feel a conviction right now because you can't talk about parenting without being convicted, right? There's grace even for that. And for that, let's go to God. Father, I thank you for your love, and I thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of the struggle that you provided us in parenting, there's grace to cover even the sins of us as parents. Father, may you cover over our shortcomings and our failures in the same way that you've done that for our parents and how you've grown us and established us and brought mentors into our life, how you've stepped in at times to be our father and to be our mother. And the parent is where, where any example ever fell short. But Father, may it hit us most, Lord, that you want a loving relationship with us that would last for all eternity. And you provided us for that. You sent your son for that. You've given us grace upon grace. And in Jesus' name, amen.